Hello, everyone. I am back. Welcome to the Intentional Wellbeing Podcast. I am your host, Diane Bondi, and it's great to be back. I hope you're enjoying the podcast. If you are, I would love it if you would go to Apple Podcasts and rate it. It really helps us out, and you can listen to our podcast anywhere you like to listen to podcasts. So today, I want to talk a little bit about um, cultural appropriation and creative or artistic intention and how that affects our well-being in the context of communities, right? Um, and I'll explain a little bit more, but before we do that, let's take a well-being break. I want you to sit wherever it is you're listening to this podcast. If you're driving, of course, you're going to have to keep your eyes open, but if you're able to sit um, and root down into a seat, if you're able or have access to placing your feet flat on the floor, go ahead if that is not an option, to just root down into a comfortable space, however this looks for you. So if it's laying down, if it's seated in a chair, however you show up in your body, relax into the body, perhaps close the eyes. I'm going to go ahead and close my eyes and bring my attention to my breath. So I'm gently drawing the lower tips of the shoulder blades to the base of the heart so that the chest is lifted. I'm going to spread my fingertips out on my lap or the arms of a chair or even onto a table because I'm sitting at a desk. And then I'm going to bring my awareness to the tip of my nose. I'm going to watch how the breath moves into the body. Taking a deep inhalation and then a deep exhalation. So you can breathe in through your nose, out through your mouth, or in through the nose, out through the nose but choose something that feels steady and easeful in your body. And let's do a quick body scan. Are your shoulders like creeping up towards your ears and can you release them? Does your body feel supported and comforted in a way that feels good? And can you tune into the sound of my voice as you come back to your breath? And I'll invite you to inhale for a count of two and perhaps exhale for a count of two or four. So choose your inhalation and your exhalation. Do you want it to be a little bit longer? Do you want to have equal inhalations to equal exhalations? And just ground yourself as we prepare for our conversation. Let's take a few more breaths here. And let's lift our chin a little bit if it's kind of sinking into our chest. 
Let's see what happens when we lift the heart a little bit. And now you can come back into the room if you let your mind wander a bit. Maybe slowly blink your eyes open. Maybe taking some gentle movements. I'm just going to move my head from side to side. Maybe shrug my shoulders a little bit and just reacquaint myself into my body. Uh, I've been spending a lot of time in my head the last few days as I watch how the world is unfolding. And because I like to spend a lot of time in my head, you know, trying to figure out where we're going in the state of the world, I occasionally want to take a little bit of escapism. And so last night I took a little bit of escapism and I went and I saw the movie Elvis. And Elvis for me has been a problematic figure in our culture. And I think because I know the persona of Elvis and not the person of Elvis, right? We, maybe over the past 10 or 20 years, have kind of rethought how we look at, and I'm going to put this in quotations, the king of rock and roll. And for me, as a Black person of African descent, Elvis has been a problematic figure for me in that um, he didn't discover rock and roll, you know? Rock and roll has its roots in gospel and in... Black music, right? If it weren't for our African influences within music, rock and roll wouldn't exist. The creation of the blues, right? The creation of R&B, all of these things influence music to this very day. And when I hear current artists who code very Black, for example, um, Jack Harlow, who I recently realized was a, a white kid, <laughs> a white young man who sounds very, you know, codes very black to me. Watching folks like that get a lot of success off of a genre of music that was created by black people who don't have the same success or get the same recognition hurts my heart a little bit. So it was with trepidation that I went to see Elvis. My mom's a huge Elvis fan and she spoke very highly of the movie. And I thought, I love Baz Luhrmann. I mean, if you saw Moulin Rouge or Romeo and Juliet, you know, I like the way in which he tells the story. I had some feelings about him doing the get down, um, which was a Netflix uh, limited series that has since been canceled about the roots of the hip hop culture uh, and the rap culture. And I thought it was interesting that a story like that was told by an Australian man, uh, Grandmaster Flash, for those of you who might not uh, be familiar, you know, one of the pioneers of the rap scene and the hip hop scene. Um, I come to find out is from Barbados and, you know, he's around the same age as my mother and grew up in the same village as my mother. So that's, I think, remarkably interesting to me that it also had like an Afro-Caribbean roots and understanding. So that is something that I often think we want to be able to tell our own stories. However, I thought uh, Baz Luhrmann in The Get Down did a good job of telling that story. One thing about the director Baz Luhrmann is he's really great about doing research. And 
hopefully telling stories and speaking to the folks who were part of the story or created the story and having their input. So I was grateful for that, that those stories, um, they get to be included in those stories. However, I wish there was a format for folks to tell their own stories because as part of our cultural well-being, it's, it's giving voice to our experience and us being able to tell the experience from our point of view humanizes us. And makes us feel more connected to the collective and the culture, which is very much a part of our well-being, right? And so when other folks who aren't part of that story get to tell the story, it can feel very limiting. It can feel very disrespectful. And it can feel like, once again, somebody else gets to tell our stories. And for most of our lives, other people have been telling our stories. And there's a disconnect for a lot of folks. We need to have that connection to who we are and to our past. And we need to see the physical manifestation of what our dreams are and the people that we respect telling our stories in community as a part of knowing who we are and knowing who you are is a big part of your well-being and how you show up in the world and how you see yourself in the world and how you interact with the world, which is the whole kit and caboodle of well-being. So I say that to say this, uh, I went and saw Elvis last night. My husband is a musician and it was a toss up between Top Gun or Elvis and he wanted to see Elvis. And I was down for the music that was going to be played. I was down to see his relationship with B.B. King and Mahalia Jackson and all those people that profoundly influenced Elvis's sound. And in Baz Luhrmann fashion, he absolutely absolutely did his research. And what was interesting to me is to see Elvis, the human being versus Elvis, the iconic image. And what I didn't know about Elvis is that he grew up in Mississippi in a very poor part of Mississippi alongside black folks. So he lived in a predominantly black neighborhood. His friends were black. He was very connected to the black community. And so I didn't know that about Elvis. I thought perhaps he had witnessed, you know, or been to perhaps a church or had heard, you know, gospel music as an aside. I didn't realize that he was actually in the church and had gone to the church. And actually before the civil rights movement, well, long before the civil rights movement, there was some pushback going on, you know, in the deep South where young white kids um, were showing up and sitting in the back of black churches. And the one thing about the black church is they will let everybody in, right? They see everybody's soul and they welcome everybody into the space. I can't say the same for white churches, right? As Martin Luther King once quipped and said that Sunday morning was the most um, divided part of the week in that people go to white church and people go to black church and we don't um, worship together if you go to church. But I was surprised to find out that he was very drawn to gospel music and that he often sat at the back of a gospel church and he had that connection to that particular mu music. Does it change my opinion of Elvis a little bit? Um, does it make him less problematic? I don't know. I'd love to hear uh, if you want to comment on this podcast, what you think. Um, my whole issue from the beginning is that he didn't create rock and roll, right? He's not, he didn't create it, but then he gets to be the king of it and gets to profit off of it. And the folks like us who have it's always been part of our heritage and part of our culture don't get to have the same recognition 
for it. And I know these things are changing and we're now having more of these conversations, but it did give me some insight into the man who was Elvis Presley. I remember in 1977 when he passed away exactly where I was because I was washing dishes in the kitchen with my mother. I was seven years old. And I remember hearing on the radio that Elvis had died. And I remember my mother taking this deep inhalation, (gasps) this big, like, and she was very sad about it. And, you know, it was a loss of a, of a cultural icon at the time. And I was a little kid and I wasn't into Elvis's music. I was into the Jackson five and, you know, and so this was not something that spoke to me at the time, but if I guess I were going to look at it in the 2020 version, it's like when Prince died, I had that same feeling, or when Whitney Houston died or Michael Jackson died. Those were iconic singers of my time that I spent a lot of time listening to their their actual records, their pressed vinyl. And so I now understood her reaction when I look at those icons that have recently passed away. And when I say recently passed away in the last 20 years, right? A lot of them passed away in 2016. But what was really interesting to me or to start to think about is how much of my belief around Elvis appropriating black culture was a cross pollination between creatives or artists, like how many singers pull from different genres because it speaks to them and it inspires them and it allows them to sell like celebrate what they love. And this is something I'm wrestling with right now. It is clear to me when I watch the movie and I do understand that there's creative liberties taken with the movie because I was sitting in the seat thinking to myself, how much of this is a fairy tale? Like how much of this is to rewrite a narrative about Elvis Presley because we're now looking back on some of our most famous icons and understanding who they were actually, as opposed to who they were portrayed to be. So there's certain cultural icons that I've had to let go of, like Dr. Zeus, whose books I read a lot as a child, and I love them. And I even read a few of them to my children until I understand exactly what he was about. Um, Charlie Brown, Charles Schultz. I used to love to read Charlie Brown comments until I, Um, could start to see how Franklin from Charlie Brown was always segregated from the rest of the crew. When I look at the comic strips, like there's lots of people that I grew up with that I thought were writing books for me only to find out that they weren't necessarily writing books for me and that my humanity was not recognized. And often in culture, people who are not part of the center or the dominant culture are always the afterthought. But I digress. Coming back to what I learned, I'm curious about what you all think around cultural appreciation versus versus cultural appropriation when it comes to Elvis Presley. The fact that he grew up alongside poor Black families and went to Black churches and, you know, uh, pushed back against segregation and was friends with B.B. King and things that I didn't know about him. Does that change your perspective of who he is in the world? I'm completely undecided because a lot of his fame is created by a promoter pushing him out into the world, right? And from what I can see from the movie and from what I've read since I've seen the movie is that he was shy and soft-spoken and got pushed around a little bit, um, did eventually end up pushing back Um, but how much of that was within his control and how much of of that is the machine 
the money making machine of capitalism, as it always does, taking something that is popular and something that um, is very cultural and stripping it of its cultural importance and connection, rebranding it and calling it something else and then creating a face of it and making it or rewriting history about it being about this the dominant culture and not about the supporting players, which is often um, black folks, indigenous folks, and other people of color. We're always the supporting cast, right? We're never, we're never front and center. We don't often um, reap the rewards. I mean, you can see this in modern time with TikTok dances, the amount of people who have become really famous on TikTok by copying dances that have been made by, creators who are black or indigenous or other people of color, right? They have kind of created, use their platform to take other people's work and become famous off of it. And the people who created those dances in the beginning or in the first place don't get any recognition or don't get the fame or don't get the, the money that comes for creating those dances. Like it's this perpetual cycle. And that has always been my beef with Elvis. He got to be the king of rock and roll when he didn't actually create rock and roll. And that rock and roll was very much um, something that was pulled from blues and pulled from gospel music. And, you know, those pioneers of the sound never had the, the fame or the fortune that Elvis did and were not respected, you know, to watch the movie, you hear it referred to as black music or end music or whatever, but that's the popular culture. Now, if I'm at a light and somebody is booming a song in their car, it's never, um, in my experience, you know, a song from a white artist that's got that big boom. I never hear people, you know, playing like blaring Led Zeppelin in their car or anything like that. And they will also, you know, say that they had their whole, have been influenced by black music. And I put black music in quotes. Um, it's always that hip hop sound. And is it kind of like a modern day minstrel show for black artists to aspire to cross over into pop genres and to have, you know, white kids buy their music. I mean, how many people love Drake and, and love um, Kanye and love um, Jay-Z? Like how much of that, how much of that is, you know, directly part of white culture, right? And how much of that is, you know, clowning or performing for that in order to have power. So these are the things or the random thoughts that are going through my head at this particular moment. Does it change my opinion of who Elvis is a little bit because it does strip away the icon and bring it back down to the individual. And I do think um, the lead actor, um, Austin Butler, I believe his name is, uh, did an excellent job in channeling um, Elvis Presley and making him human. And I think Baz Luhrmann did great research in teaching us about the origins of Elvis. And it gives me a little pause in starting to think about how artists are inspired and how artists formulate a sound. We know that, you know, people like Miles Davis had influences from European music, right? Uh, we know that different artists are just inspired by different sounds and then they create a sound out of that inspiration. And is that okay? Absolutely. But do we always have to give 
credit to the people whose inspiration it created this new sound. We need to always uplift those people. I was listening to this. I was listening to that and it inspired me to create, create this and to be really clear on that and to give people their dues, to make sure people are recognized for their contributions in the world. It isn't for, for me, it's always black history month where I learned that, wow, we've created all these things and I had no idea because we don't ever get credit for those things. And I think it's important. And I think the legacy of Elvis Presley will shift a little bit after this movie. Um, his daughter, his granddaughter, and his ex-wife have spoken about how Baz Luhrmann and has really created a truth-telling about who Elvis was and how Elvis um, was perceived. So I just, I'm just thinking about all these things. I'm, I'm just, I went to bed even dreaming about this movie because I, you know, I, I was prepared not to like it. I was prepared to call foul in the retelling of Elvis's story. And then when I saw like the origins of who he was and how he did, you know, how he was in relationship with black folks in a way that hopefully saw them as equals from what the movie showed me. I don't know in all actuality if this was the truth, but when we take inspiration from other folks and we create something, we should honor the places we take inspiration from and we should name the places that we take inspiration from and we should lift up the voices that have helped us um, become successful and we should certainly um, share the wealth, whether it's sharing a platform or sharing money or supporting folks whose work that we take for granted all the time. And I would have loved to have seen more of that happen. And I understand that um, Elvis was a person of that time where we didn't give a lot of thought to uh, black folks and people of color um, and their contributions. He grew up during segregation. He was around during the civil rights movement. And I think he could have been an incredible he was an incredible icon, but I think he could have been so much more than the sum of his parts if he had spoke out against all those things, especially because he was so connected to the black community. If he could have spoke out about, you know, the death of Martin Luther King and the assassination of Malcolm X and those leaders who were really fighting for the rights of black folks, because a lot of his, his wealth, his fame, his notoriety, his becoming an icon is based in the fact that he was so deeply connected to that gospel music and so deeply connected to the black community. So I think he could have been so much more and it was disappointing to see how he got taken advantage of, you know, how he pretty much died poor or penniless. Um, and it's an interesting movie to go see, but I just come on here to ask your thoughts, you know, what are the differences between cultural appropriation and cultural appreciation what are the things that we take for granted that we never ever consider how these things come to be? You know, how do we lift up our consciousness around supporting folks who, you know, don't aren't always seen or who are behind the scenes or who are doing the heavy lifting or the hard work. And we don't even acknowledge that they've been here the whole time and they're con contributing to how culture, art, music, science, cuisine, 
affects the world and that we honor those folks and that we say, you know, I take inspiration from these places and these are the people who have informed me and I want to, you know, bring them forward because otherwise they get lost in the shuffle. So these are my musings for today, just things I'm thinking about. And now, you know, I've become completely obsessed with um, the movie and the research and, you know, redefining Albus for myself. I'm, there are so many problematic things in the world. This is just happens to be one of them that I'm thinking about. And how does this connect to intentional well-being? As I said at the beginning of the podcast, it's important for people to know that their contributions are worthwhile, important, and seen because it leads to our self-esteem as a people. It gives us something to connect to. It gives us a physical manifestation of who we can be and where we are. And that really helps you to see yourself. It's important to be seen in the world. It's important to be understood in the world. And things like this need to need to happen. We need to acknowledge the folks who have come before us and shared something so spectacular that we've taken inspiration from in creative spaces and otherwise. And that's part of our well-being and that's part of our healing as a community. So thank you for listening to my my thoughts on the Elvis movie. I think everybody should go see it. I think it's important to understand that relationship. And it does my heart good to see pictures of Elvis with black folks um, and seeing them hopefully as equals and uh, not as someone we can use and throw away when we no longer, when they no longer serve us in a way that we want to be served. Things to think about and things to think about on the path to community well-being. Being in community with each other means seeing each other and acknowledging the contributions that each community makes to the collective. All right, everybody. Thank you. Until next time. Uh, and if there's anybody you want me to interview for the Intentional Wellbeing podcast, let me know. I would love to talk to folks. And thanks for tuning in. I'll see you next time, everyone.